News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome back to episode eight of the Luke Macias Show. This is your host, Luke Macias, with my friend, Raz Schaefer. Raz, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. So this week, again, is our quick news update. We'll have another sit-down interview next week. Um, Getting right into Texas news, and then Raz will give us a quick update on national and international matters. Um, On the Texas side, one of the things that we brought to light, in fact, you can go to LukeMacias.com and read a story and watch the video of Julian Castro's comments. But Julian Castro, who is the uh, mayor of San Antonio, then HUD secretary under Barack Obama, and now Democrat candidate for president, um, was at South by Southwest this week in Austin and made some interesting comments when talking about the advantage the Democrats had going into 2020, specifically focusing in on the fact that with the Beto O'Rourke election in 2018 and that giving them an advantage in some of these urban areas that they now have the county commissioner's court and the district clerks and county clerks and all the other county level positions that matter when it comes to elections. And so they now have the oversight and administration of the elections in Harris County, in Dallas County, in Bear County and Travis County, and all of those major metropolitan areas in Texas. The concerning part about these comments is just the fact that Julian Castro seems to uh, really imply that Democrats' control of these local urban areas means that they have an advantage going into 2020. Now, here's the reality, that Republicans do not try to win county seats so that we can then control the elections so that we can then give ourselves an advantage going into a normal November election. Um, The job of the county level officials is to administer the election. The job of the county officials is to facilitate the casting of ballots and count those ballots and publicize those ballots for us to view. And in order for us to have confidence in the election results, we need to make sure that our top officials, both Republicans and Democrats, are not saying that their control of the local county level means that they have an advantage when it comes to the electoral process. So this should concern conservatives. It should concern Republicans who are going into a 2020 election. It makes it even more important that we are alert and involved. If you go back to our uh, our interview with Aaron Harris, and I have to remember if that was episode uh, you know, three or five, but the point is we had a conversation with Aaron Harris. I believe it was episode three. And... Um, and talking about Direct Action Texas, talking about the work that they're doing, uh, and they're actually our show sponsor today, so you'll you'll hear that advertisement in a second. But just it's really important, guys, with the comments that Julian Castro is making to be aware that Democrats understand the positions of power that they hold, and they're planning on trying to take advantage of that to any extent possible. So it's important for us to be on the alert and very actively engaged uh, to make sure that election integrity is part of Texas moving into 2020. Also. The Texas Senate has moved forward with its agenda. Um, It has passed a tap of the rainy day fund for um, past expenses that were incurred last biennium when it comes to Harvey. They also uh, funded some other um, ongoing expenses and and one-time expenses, some within um, school protections and school security. Um, This does concern some conservative organizations. The Texas Public Policy Foundation and Empower Texans both came out against that large of a tap of the rainy day fund. Um, This gets into a broader discussion of just what the 
Texas Senate and the Texas House may or may not be doing this session. So one of the important things to know is that the Texas Senate and the Texas House have continued to move forward on their agenda, which includes a significant increase in state spending, which conservatives know that with more spending comes more government. One of the things that has stalled so far is property tax reform. So at the beginning, we got told that there were two main agenda items. One was school finance reform, which meant spending six to seven to nine billion more dollars on uh, the public school system, as well as an increase in spending due to Harvey-related issues and, and school security, which is on top of the school funding formula. And so we are looking at going into a session where we are going to spend billions of dollars more with a couple billion set aside for some very small property tax relief and then a property tax reform package. That property tax reform package, though, has stalled in the Texas Senate. That is due to Senator Kel Seliger's lack of support. So Senator Kel Seliger from Amarillo to Midland in West Texas, he represents a very Republican district. He barely won re-election by just over 50% of the vote this last time because of his liberal voting record. And he is the lone Republican holdout on this legislation. So property tax reform cannot pass the Senate without his support or the support of one of the Democrats in the Texas Senate. While property tax reform has stalled, the, uh, the Senate agenda that grows government has moved forward. What conservatives need to understand is that unless we get property tax reform, out of this session, the only thing we will have to show for ourselves is a democrat light session. It will have been a session in which Democrat priorities will have passed and government will have significantly grown without conservative reforms. I'm not saying that's going to happen. In fact, I would say that during my time in the Capitol just this week and last, I know that conservative Republicans and, and Paul Bettencourt and Dustin Burroughs and the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor are, remain committed to property tax reform and are fighting hard to try to get it through. But I think it is important. You know, in the past, Dan Patrick has, has said things like, no school finance reform without school choice. And that would be a position that said, look, I will negotiate if you give a little, I'll give a little. And what would be very unfortunate is if we end the legislative session having said, we'll give this and not get anything in return. Also, it is coming, uh, one of the things that conservatives, and this gets into one of the other points is Dan Patrick made a speech at the Northeast Tarrant Tea Party uh, in which he laid out a lot of his agenda. And conservatives in that crowd seemed less than pleased with the items that were listed. At the end of the day, the a significant portion of Dan Patrick's agenda this session is growing different forms of government. And so conservatives are beginning to ask the question uh, from its Republican leaders, what are we to expect out of this session that is reflective of the Republican platform? What are we to expect that conservatives can say, this is why we sent Republicans to power in the legislative session? Uh, going on from property tax reform to school finance, we're going to move right into pro-life legislation. So there are two big parts of this. One is that it was rolled out this week that there is now a Born Alive Infant Protection Act in Texas. Uh, Raz, we'll talk about that on the federal level, but Representative Jeff Leach and Senator Lois Kolkhorst both filed legislation um, to further clarify our protections for infants that are born alive and who are not protected. This would ensure that doctors cannot end the life of a child in a botched abortion. Now, there's a couple things that are important for conservatives to know. First of all, doctors currently cannot end the life of a child after an abortion, okay? So this is not enacting new 
laws. This is not enacting new protections. There are some clarifications. There may be some increases in, in the penalty. There may be some increases in the financial cost. But at the end of the day, Texas does not allow this. Is it an important political vote for us to have? Absolutely. In fact, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the route the Democrats take. I could see a situation in which the vast majority of Democrats vote against this and therefore vote for infanticide. I could also see a situation in which the Democrat caucus gets together and says, there is no reason for us to give Republicans this victory going into 2020. In fact, we're going to vote in unison on this. And there are only a handful of the most liberal Democrats that actually vote against the legislation where the vast majority of the Democrat caucus votes for it. It'll be interesting to see the approach they take. Uh, of course, conservatives would hope that they would show their true colors and vote in favor of infanticide, but it just depends on whether Democrats really want to give us that win. That leads us into pro-life legislation that's been filed that would actually protect the unborn, which is PRINDA, which is the Pre-Born Non-Discrimination Act, which has been filed by Kelly Hancock and Representative Schaefer. There's the Texas Heartbeat Bill, which has been filed by Briscoe Kane, and there's the Abolition of Abortion, which has been filed by Tony Tinderholt. All three of these pieces of legislation would take current unborn children who are not protected by state law and protect them. Each and every one of them, to an extent, would take a child who is currently not recognized as a human being under our code and recognize them. These are steps in the right direction towards protecting the unborn. This legislation is receiving bumps in the road, and the question that Republican leaders have to ask themselves is, are they committed to passing pro-life reforms? You know, it's interesting, just this last week, I've seen that the Republican governor of Georgia, which is definitely considered a swing state going into 2020, came out and said he is supportive of heartbeat legislation. The Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, came out in a state that everyone knows is a competitive state and said, I support abolishing abortion. I support heartbeat legislation. And in Texas, we have a lieutenant governor, a governor, a speaker who have remained silent on the issue of life outside of supporting the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. So they've supported legislation that simply clarifies existing law and, and just says that these children who are already protected should be additionally protected or it should be more severe for people who ignore this law. But when it comes to legislation that further protects the unborn, we just haven't seen leadership at the state level willing to take this issue on. This is something that continues to concern conservatives, but the good news is we are still 80 days away from the end of session and there's plenty of time. If you are a conservative pro-life Republican or pro-life independent or pro-life Democrat, I would urge you to contact your state leaders and to tell them these are issues of grave importance and you want to see them address this legislative session. The time is now. Republicans have control of the Senate. Republicans have control of the House. And if we don't do anything with that control, voters are going to continue to ask themselves, why are they sending Republicans back here for another session in 2021? With that, Raz, what is going on on a national and international level? <laughs> well, we're going to double up coverage on a couple of those issues that you talked about. Yep. Uh, because first of all, on both the state level and the national level, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Robert Francis O'Rourke has announced that he is officially running for president. Uh, we've been speculating and talking about this on some of the past news updates. And he finally officially put his, mm -hmm. uh, you know, threw his hat in the ring. Um, ironically, if nothing else, one of his first pitches that he was making to people was to fund his campaign that uh, supports the Green New Deal while sitting, while filling up his minivan with uh, carbon fuels. So that was that was kind of an ironic, uh, some seen as a foible, but uh, he's getting his $28.83 or whatever that he was asking for. 
Second of all, the uh, Born Life Protection Act, very similar on the federal level to what you talked about on the state level here in Texas. The main difference is that in many states, this actually does provide increased protection to mm -hmm. those children. It clarifies the law and it avoids the problems that we've seen in some of these states like Virginia that are passing, they're trying to pass laws in Democrat controlled uh, legislative bodies that would make it even more questionable whether those children are protected. And so it, uh, it's, it's a very important piece, but Democrats, unlike this back and forth in our side on the Texas side where we don't know what the Democrats' political decision is going to be, the Democrats have now blocked this bill and blocked votes and moving it forward 18 separate times. 18 times Democrats in the U.S. House have said we will not protect children that are born alive, which is a rather remarkable thing and is something they should be held accountable for. On the international side, uh, if we look across to our uh, brothers and sisters across the pond, the Brexit situation is uh, it, quite questionable right now. There was originally a deadline that's coming up here quite quickly, and uh, that Theresa May and the parliament voted to extend that. Um, that's throwing a lot of questions because it's uh, if you keep with the way the largely unwritten British constitution is, building precedent is a very, very powerful thing. And so once they've delayed this once, it raises a question of what's going to happen next. And it's much a bigger factor with those kind of votes over there than it would be here. So it's important to understand that. Uh, fourth, the college admission scandal uh, that's broken over the last couple of days is very reminiscent of something we're familiar with because of what Wallace Hall uncovered with UT several years ago. But we now have over 50 indictments from people taking part in it to rich parents and celebrities that were paying off uh, coaches and administrators and, and test even test proctors to get their kids into these uh, quote unquote top level schools. You really got to question how top level they are if you, if you can get your kids into them with a quick bribe. Next, we have the Equality Act, that this is a central piece of the Democrat House agenda that Nancy Pelosi is pushing. It would not only overturn a lot of the, the quote-unquote bathroom bills that, that we've passed in states like Texas and, uh, and so other states like North Carolina, et cetera, but it would also make, put legal penalties on people that don't, whether knowingly or unknowingly, use the right pronouns. It would put a lot of pressure on doctors to change standards of care that are outside what they know to be medically relevant or appropriate because of law. So we're having political people making medical decisions, both for how things are funded and the way that doctors can even talk to their patients, which is quite concerning. After that, we got the Green New Deal. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we said that Nancy Pelosi was probably going to be trying to block this. Well, now she actually is. The GOP has been pushing to get hearings on this bill. They want to make it very clear to the American people what this is going to mean so that the Democrats can't just use this as a talking point in some kind of beautiful nirvana, but they actually got to talk about what it costs, what it would involve, and what Americans would have to give up. And so Pelosi predictably is refusing to allow those. And uh, in one of her comments as she was asked about it, she called it the green dream or whatever. So her, uh, her priority there was very clear. She wants to provide cover to liberal Democrats, presidential candidates that can talk about it without actually having to be faced with the reality of the situation. My last point is as the Mueller probe is <laughs> sometime soon coming out, the House voted this last week in a notably non-binding resolution uh, with all people in favor of except four that voted present, that uh, so nobody voted against it. They voted to say that they want this entire probe report to be released in its entirety. No redactions whatsoever. This is important because as leaders are making decisions about what will be released, it's typically a conversation of what should be. And for very different reasons, the Democrats and the Republicans find themselves in the same position right now. 
the Republicans want it released because they believe it will exonerate uh, President Trump and that it will show that there has been significant uh, bad faith effort on the part of the Justice Department. And the Democrats, however, they want to make sure it's all released because they think they can use it as political missiles against the president and Republicans in 2020. So with that, that's what I got on the national and international side. Thank you, Raz. And we are going to go to a quick message from our sponsor this week and then come back to just have a quick conversation about a couple of these different issues. Guys, today's show is sponsored by Direct Action Texas. You can visit them at directactiontx.com. Direct Action Texas is a political advocacy organization in the DFW area. They focus on four main areas, uh, government transparency, government ethics, public debt, civil liberties, they have a single mission. It's to help the grassroots take action in changing local government. On top of that, they have become the premier organization, the leading voice when it comes to uh, voter fraud, election fraud, voter integrity. Um, Daniel Greer is their new executive director, and he is doing work in the Capitol. He's doing work um, in the grassroots, writing about, researching voter fraud all across the state of Texas, election fraud that we are dealing with here in our, in our state. We need that organization actively involved. If you want to be engaged in what they're doing, if you want to be informed as as to what they're being involved in, go to directactiontx.com, directactiontx.com, sign up to be on their email list, make a small donation, support the efforts they're doing. It's well worth your time. It's well worth your effort. I would greatly encourage you to check them out. And we're back. Um, so, you know, I was interesting. You mentioned the college admissions uh, schedule, Raz. Uh, I saw... Uh, it listed that one of the people caught up was some Fort Worth investor. And so, uh, you know, you're in the Fort Worth area. And so I started texting some of the different individuals. You and I know some of them together and some of them I just know through my time in politics up in Tarrant County and just started texting everybody this guy's name. Like, do you know this guy? Do you know this guy? I mean, you're all investors and businessmen in Fort Worth and nobody knew him, which makes me feel really bad for this guy because <laughs> I, I they go, no, I don't. I'm like, well, you're going to pretty soon, because <laughs> I have no doubt that the people that do know him, that that name will be flying around the Fort Worth circles as incestuous as that uh, city is and how close-knit that community is, right? It's kind of the, the largest small town in Texas. Um, no doubt that his name will get mentioned at plenty of conversations at the Fort Worth Club, and uh, it will soon be, you know, how he is known. And you know, uh, Think and about so, how you, bad this is for those kids, Right. I mean, the parents thought Absolutely. they were, quote unquote, doing them a favor by paying folks off to get him in so they could have this, you know, Ivy League or whatever degree. Now, this indictment and this information, even though the kids are, may not have criminal culpability, that Google yeah. hit is going to fall them for the rest of their life. They're the rich kid that could not get into a simple college. They couldn't get and into it, college it by just, themselves. Um, it was really sad. I mean, this kind of goes back to parenting. Uh, a lot of these kids never knew. I mean, literally, when you look into the into the documentation, I mean, these kids were not told that this was happening, right? Hey, I mean, some of them was like, they'd try to get their kid identified as with a learning disability so they could have a monitored proctor, and then they'd be paying that monitored proctor to make sure that their test was high enough so that they get accepted into the school. And the kid just thinks, I, I we're going to... Florida this weekend. And so we just scheduled you a test down there and they don't know why somebody's in the room and it's not told to them. And so they're at, I mean, I'm hoping these kids are at college, right? Studying for their classes. And then they realize, 
oh my gosh, this is what's happened. It's just super sad um, and a real indictment on our culture and where we are. It's even a bigger indictment on universities and just the weight yeah. that people continue to play on universities. There's a reason that college debt has surpassed credit card debt. Um, just, I think it was two, three, four years ago, something like that. But I mean, the reality that people are putting far more weight on college degrees than the market puts on college degrees. And I, I literally today, it was on my Facebook feed. So please forgive me if this is not true, but, uh, it was a, a news article that I was reading about, um, how Apple has just recently changed some of their HR protocols to hire more people without college degrees. And in a time when the largest companies in America are saying, hey, degrees matter less than they ever have. We have parents paying more than they ever have. And it shows a real disconnect. Part of this is the fact that when you have the federal government that says that we want to artificially place more value on something, then it will mess up the market. It will manipulate and pervert what more naturally would be balanced out by the market's actions. Guys, we wouldn't have students getting the absurd access to college loans that they're getting unless the federal government said, we are completely backing this, we're guaranteeing this, you have it. And they're using our dollars and our children's dollars and our children's children's dollars to do so. And then people are getting access to capital that they never, ever would be able to get access to, which means that colleges will charge more than they ever would be able to charge unless people were coming to them with free money, which then artificially inflates the entire cost. And then while the market is saying, hey, this really isn't as valuable, it's not having the additional effect that it should naturally have, which is driving down the cost of college. Because the cost of college isn't determined by the market's value that it places on that, by business owners' value that they place on somebody having a degree, by somebody's ability to get a job with that college degree. It's instead now just placed on the prestige and the understanding. I remember talking to a really involved member of Texas X's, because Raz brought up the Wallace Hall um, issues that came up. And, and this man's a huge alumni with UT and Wallace Hall comes up and he says, I can't stand that guy. And I say, why? And for those of you who don't know, Wallace Hall was a regent at the University of Texas who had significant concerns with the admissions process and it being manipulated on behalf of elected officials and people with power. And he was basically completely dragged through the mud. I mean, they more or less attempted to throw him in prison as a result of, of his how dare he even come up with such accusations and how dare he bring these things to light. And this gentleman even told me, and he's a, he's a person I respect and a, a respectful business owner and said, Hey, I mean, I get it. If you have those concerns, bring them in house. Let's handle this thing as a family. Why are you dragging it through the public mud? And the reality that if we had gotten to the bottom of the admissions problem, then UT would not be in the center of admissions problems today. Um, this is going to the complete and utter disruption that is going to happen within the higher education institution, the entire higher education market. Um, it's inevitable. Anyways, it makes um, Raz really proud of going to Hillsdale, who uh, <laughs> has not had any uh, admissions scandals as of late. And um, yeah, so it's just really interesting on the college admission front. Hey, um, Raz, also just uh, you know asking about Beto. Um, what are, you know, how do you see Beto when it comes to the entire Democrat field now? What role does he play in your opinion? You have some of the furthest left actors right now, and then you have 
people talking about Biden getting in, who will be kind of the traditional, more traditional middle of the road Democrat in comparison to the rest of the field. Where do you see Beto landing? How do you see him trying to carve out his own space? You know, right now, looking at the Democratic field, it's kind of like picking a Ben and Jerry's flavor at the grocery store for your ice cream, where they have like 32 <laughs> flavors or something like that. That's really about that. That's going to be about yeah. the size of the Democratic field. But I, I went through last night and I was watching some videos from some of these candidates that I was not familiar with. They have a whole range of people from the people like Biden and sitting senators uh, who are really getting screwed in this whole thing with the broad field because the senators are some of the yeah. least exciting and, and the, some of the House members. Uh, the outside people that are bringing in from entrepreneurs that are very liberal to people like Beto, who are not currently sitting elected officials, and even Biden as having somebody that's been on the sidelines for a little bit, been out of the public yeah. view, there's some excitement about getting new access to these people and seeing what they have to say. And so I think that the senators and the House people are really going to have a rough time uh, because they're not going to get the attention they thought they would. But with Beto, I feel like this is, if I'm him, this is a VP play. At the, I mean, at its core, and this has been something I could have been totally wrong on, but I've, I've been saying for a while, I think ultimately this comes down to he's not going to be the presidential nominee, but he has the opportunity to show he can get a, a significant plurality of people to get behind him that will be different than the group that the, the presidential nominee p pulls. And he also has the keys to Texas. He has a very strong organization here. There's a lot of people that uh, th there's a lot of people that are in the middle that are willing to listen to him and like him just on a personal level. And this is where we have to really start showing on issues what's different. What's the risk of putting a Democrat in the White House? And what's the risk of having somebody like Beto running roughshod over over all these these folks in the, the Democrat presidential primary? I don't think he'll get as much excitement as he's hoping for, but I do believe he'll be on the upper half, at least, of the of the field. That side is crowded as far as the excitement level. This is not like in 08 where Barack Obama was the one person on the Democrat side that was young and exciting and seemed to have a novel campaign approach. There are several people that fit that bill. So there's multiple flavors. If that's who you are, if you want a, somebody that sounds sort of moderate on some issues and way lefty, Green New Deal-ish on others— you have more than just Beto, and that's bad news for his run. So I have heard quite a few people that think that Beto's play is to be Biden's vice presidential pick, right? In the idea that uh, a more traditional type Democrat more with more appeal to middle America um, ends up jumping in kind of how John McCain won the Republican um, you know, nomination when he did, or Mitt Romney, that we that the Democrats end up going that way instead of as far left, and then Beto ends up being a great option because he appeals to the younger people, he appeals to millennials, he has a Democrat socialist platform, but he is really, I mean, to be honest, with his public statements, he is less far left than the majority of the Democrat um, group. I, I heard somebody ask about... I, I think it was the Green New Deal in, in Iowa in the video I was watching, and, and they asked him, what do you think about this issue and this issue? And he said, I'm going to answer the spirit of the question, right? I'm, I'm not going to answer the question. But the point is that Beto's been very um, talented at being able to articulate the vision for what people want to hear and see and still not getting in the nitty-gritty details of we need to pass a ban on this, we need to move towards eliminating airplanes and moving towards, uh, you know, all high-speed rail. So 
That being said, do you think that Beto positions himself on being a great vice presidential candidate for anybody, meaning he's just the ideal VP for Elizabeth Warren if she ends up winning, or Joe Biden, or Kamala Harris? Um, or do you think he ends up gravitating towards one of those groups and kind of hitches his wagon? And at the same time, if you're Beto, maybe he's saying, heck, two months from now, I might be leading. So I mean, my worst case scenario is that's uh, it's a good backup plan, but it doesn't have to necessarily be the first one. So I don't know. Do you see him fitting into one of those lanes? You know, I think the, the beauty of his position uh, you know, for himself, not us, is that he has a broad appeal. And when you look at all the other people and you say, who out of these, you know, other 20 people could he be a good fit as vice president for? And the first answer is who doesn't want to have a chance of putting Texas in play? Who doesn't want to force Trump and the RNC to spend money in Texas to keep us red? Yep. I mean, you get to suck so much money from Wisconsin, Florida, Ohio, Michigan, all those states that may be battlegrounds, and you get to pull that money into Texas. So every single person, whoever wins the presidential nomination, wants that pull. So he's a good fit for anybody based on that. He's especially a good fit for someone who has a little bit different style who may be more, I think Biden, I think a Biden O'Rourke ticket is especially powerful. I think Biden, he's he's quite cagey. He comes across as folksy, but he's very, very calculated uh, in an understated way. I think he would be one of the better people to go up against Trump as far as from the Democrats' power perspective. But Beto provides a lot of, a lot of strength in areas that uh, he can kind of be the guy that keeps heckling Trump from the side and is really a draw for the youth that pulls him in. That really unites the Democrat Party in a way that is unlikely to be the case if you have one of the other people win the presidential. So it's, I think he has broad appeal as a VP pick. It, there's always the roll of the dice, and ultimately why he jumped in the race is he does see there as an outside chance he could win. So why not try? But he's going to continue to exercise a very, very cagey rhetoric and staying, you're trying to keep from being nailed down on some of these specifics in such a way that he can not be the enemy of any one of these presidential aspirants so that yep. he can be their pick. No, great insight. Um, and wrapping up this show, I want to remind everybody that if you go back and listen to last week's episode with Michael Sullivan, you'll hear just some of the dangers that I think all of us as conservative Republicans recognize when it comes to Texas being a battleground in 2020 and the need to be actively involved and engaged. So when it comes to Beto O'Rourke being a likely presidential or vice presidential or on the ticket in some way uh, of the Democrat party. We have to recognize that that is an incredible, um, it, it gives Democrats an, a, a, a leg up when it comes to competing in Texas. And we might see, and we will see Texas for the first time be a battleground state where de Democrats are actively campaigning. What does that mean for each and every one of you guys? Texans have a conservative bent. Texans have a limited government attitude, but if we aren't going out and uh, being an advocate of our ideas and sharing how our belief systems have made Texas the state it is today, then people are not going to continue to come around to our party. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you when it comes to uh, just engaging with your friends, engaging with your family, having conversations with people you know that might 
have a conservative bent, might have a right of center leaning, but haven't been as involved politically before, encouraging them to get out, encouraging them to make small donations to candidates that they care about, encouraging them to go to a local conservative club and get more engaged, encouraging them to speak out more publicly about the things that they believe so that Texans can all recognize the fact that our communities have not lurched as far left as the politicians, both in the Republican and Democrat party, would believe that they have. It's incredibly important. Raz, before we go, how can people find out more about you? Where can they learn more about all the things you're involved in and doing? Just go to raz.us as far as my website. You can get in touch with there and find out more about what I'm, uh, all the crazy hats I'm juggling. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at LukeCSTX and stay up to date with me as well. You can go to LukeMacias.com. We will send you an email when each of our podcasts come out. I want to remind each and every one of y'all that this podcast has been an incredible success. It has gone, I would say, far better than Raz or I envisioned when we first started talking about this in November and December of last year. Well, we've been incredibly blessed by so much encouragement from each and every one of y'all who have listened, who have subscribed, who have rated and reviewed us, who have shared it with your friends. I run into people throughout the week that say, oh, hey, I listened to that one episode and I had no idea that this was going on. And so incredibly encouraging. Thank you all for your encouraging words. Um, But I want to remind you that this show will continue to grow only if you help it grow. So if you have not reviewed this show, go on, review it. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, just subscribe. If you don't want to listen every week uh, because you don't want to stay engaged in Texas politics and the things that matter, I won't judge you and I won't know who you are. But if you subscribe, it gets it automatically onto your device, makes it so much easier to listen to. Guys, I'm a podcasting guy. I've subscribed to probably over a dozen podcasts and some of them I listen to you know, several times a week and several of them uh, I listen to a couple times a month when a show comes on that I find a lot of interest in. But please subscribe. It helps us get the content to you as easily as possible. Please review us and rate us um, accurately. If you really don't like the show, say it, but we'd rather you not say it, okay? We'd rather you just say something uh, positive, at least positively talk about Raz's influence on the show if you don't like what (laughs) I have to say. And uh, we'll be better off. Um, but rate us, review us, subscribe, share it with your friends. We appreciate it. Go to LukeMacias.com, sign up for our email alerts. We will just send you one email a week that tells you, here's the podcast, here's what we're talking about. And if it interests you, you can go on and listen to it. Um, thank you so much for your continued support of the show. Thank you so much for your continued desire to engage in the battle that is going on right now in the Lone Star State of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Messias Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.